called Will Work for Food. So I thought that I would start this podcast off by telling you a little bit about myself um, because most of you maybe don't know me. Some of you probably do. And usually when you do that, you talk about things like your job and how old you are and things like that. But I don't really think that's super important right now. So just know my name is Kaylin. I'm 21 years old and I just started a travel blog. So this podcast is kind of like a baby to the travel blog. And the travel blog is all about traveling the world without money, literally. Um, I do not have a ton of money, and I also love to travel. Now, I could work, 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 and save and then go travel, but that seems like a lot of work to me, exactly like I just said. Um, So last year, I took a trip across country. I started in Virginia, and I ended up in Hawaii, and I did this with almost no money. Um, There are so many details about this trip on my blog, so I will definitely post links to that. Um, But it was amazing. I met so many people. One of my main intents of this trip was to figure out if goodwill and humans still existed, if people were still kind and people were still giving, and if they wanted to help you. And I found out that they do. And I'm also one of those people who really just want to make this world a better place. So this is what this podcast and my blog are about. Um, You never know what you're going to hear on this podcast. I'm going to be sharing tips with you on how you can do this on your own, travel with no money. I'm going to be sharing stories with you of what's happening to me on the road, mistakes that I make. And more importantly, I'm going to be sharing with you stories of the people that I meet, which is the most exciting thing. Because last year when I was traveling um, across the country, I met so many people who had such interesting and inspiring and sad and beautiful stories. And I didn't record them. And I wish that I had so that I could share them with everyone else. So this time I'm going to do it right. Um, so travel, you know, we're talking about this idea of travel, but there's so many different things under this umbrella that we're going to be discussing. Things like social justice issues, veganism, um, maybe yoga and meditation, but who knows? Like I said, this is a platform for others to really share their voice. So in addition to keeping up with me and figuring out what I'm doing, you're going to get to listen to other people too, which is probably much more exciting. Um, so my hopes for this podcast is to create this really safe network online, you know, you with yourself when you're listening and just in the world in general that we can feel safe, um, regardless of what we look like, you know, different things like that, where we come from, body, whatever it is that separates people. I just want this to be a safe space. So hopefully we can learn together. We can solve problems together. And then hopefully I can inspire you to do new things um, like travel and meet people and learn because the world is just a big, big teacher and it teaches you all these wonderful things if you get out and explore it. So I have all these social media handles, um, my blog, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I'll share those links with you later. I also have a Facebook group um, called the Wander Woman Travel Network. You can look me up on Facebook and ask to join. 
And in this group, you can connect with others that are traveling. You can ask questions. You can promote your own blog, which you don't get to do in a lot of other um, groups on Facebook. And you can just stay connected and see what other people are doing and ask questions. Um, when I travel, especially with no money, I always need places to stay. I need recommendations. I need things to do. So this is a great place to go um, look for places while you're out on the road or if you're planning. So, you know, go ahead and join that group and, you know, talk to people and just get acquainted. And this can be a really positive, um, safe network that we can all participate in. So that group, just so you know, is a moderated group. You have to ask to join. And by no means um, can I guarantee this will be a safe space, but I will delete things that should not be on there. Um, I check people out before they get in there. I mean, that's not saying much because it's Facebook. But, you know, I'm looking at people and I'm making sure they have an interest. And I'm trying to make this as safe a place as possible. Um, there are rules also, so if you join, please go and check those out. So, I have some interesting stuff um, coming up on this podcast, because right now I am at a DXE event, and this is in California, in Berkeley. So like I said, I am in Berkeley, California, um, and right now I'm here because the DXE Forum is here, and that is where tons of activists gather to learn how to be better advocates for non-human animals and participate in the social justice movement. So DXE, Direct Action Everywhere, I'll say it one more time, you can learn more about them at directactioneverywhere.com is a group that advocates for animal rights. So we don't want them, I say we because I am definitely a part of this group, um, we don't want them to be used for food, for clothing, um, for testing, animal testing, testing different products on them. All these different things, we find so many ways to torture and abuse and use animals and we are here to say that you do not have to live like this. Um, this doesn't have to be something you do. And whether you agree with me or not, I think you will find these following stories really different. You've probably never heard a story like this and pretty inspiring. So I would definitely hang around for that. But I want to tell you a little bit of what the forum is about. So there are over 500 people here, I think. It's the largest group that they've ever had. 
And we are all here to listen and learn and be better advocates, but I've never met a group of people just so open and honestly loving before. It doesn't matter where you come from um, or, you know, what your background is or what you look like. Everyone is honestly here to just be a better person and give love to everyone, including non-human animals. So that is so exciting for me. Um, I love that when I came here, you know, we made name tags, and so I wrote my name on it, I wrote where I was from, and then we're writing pronouns, our pronouns that we like to use, he, she, they, them, whatever it is, people are just saying, hey, I honestly want to know you, I'm not going to judge, and I am so excited to meet you, and everyone hugs, it's, oh gosh, it's a dream come true for me, to be honest, um, everyone is asking consent to do things, we're making sure that everyone is feeling okay, and if not, what can we do for you, and taking care of each other, so I just wanted to give you a little bit of the vibe here, which is really great, so like I said, I've met so many people here from all over, um, another thing that we're doing a lot is listening to lectures, so these are from people who are doing really awesome things in the animal rights movement, like Wayne, um, the founder, one of the founders of Direct Action Everywhere, Priya, Julianne, all these really inspirational people, we're getting to hear their star stories, and we're getting knowledge from them, which I really, really appreciate. Um, but enough about that. I just want to give you little updates with what I'm doing, because it's super exciting to be in a new place, and I totally know that every new place I go to, I'm going to be doing new things and experiencing new things and meeting new people. So the first parts of my podcast are going to be all about updating you with what I'm doing in my daily life on my travels. And the second part, hopefully, will usually be um, an interview with someone that I've met that I think has something that I think that they have something really amazing to share with you. So. What am I doing here so far? I'm meeting people, like I said, listening to these lectures. I am adventuring with my friends in Berkeley. Um, this isn't as exciting, but there's vegan food everywhere, so plant-based food. All of this food that doesn't have dead animal flesh in it or have animal products. I went and had amazing cinnamon rolls. Um, every day here at the forum, we have lunch together, so we have something different. And like sandwiches with different types of mox meats and cheeses and salads and desserts and Chinese food. Oh my gosh, you name it, we have it, which that is super exciting, not having to worry about being triggered by any of these um, food foods that are a product of violence of the system. Um, so other things that we're doing is we're creating new things. So people are sharing apps that they've created. They're sharing music. Um, we're coming up with our own plans for new disruption ideas. And now that we're at this point, I want to share with you what a disruption is because it's one of the main things we do here with Direct Action Everywhere. Um, it's where we go into a place where animals' bodies are being sold, their stolen products are being sold, and we speak out for them. And so it usually looks like we are walking into a grocery store or a restaurant. Um, this is all nonviolent. We go in. And we say, hey, everyone, I have a message to tell you. And that might literally be how we start one of these disruptions. And from there, you know, we talk in a louder voice so everyone can hear us. And we tell these stories of animals and we share our thoughts and feelings on it. And we speak out for these animals who have never, ever had a chance to speak out for themselves that have been used and abused. And you have all types of reactions. You know, people are using usually filming, but they're yelling at you or they're asking you questions. So this is a form of protest. Um, so people feel differently about that, and I will put a link in this podcast description so you can look up 
what a disruption is and what we do during those. And then you'll have a better idea um, of what I'm talking about because it's not the thing that you see on the usual. I wish it was. But it'll be so much better than me explaining to you what that is if you just watch it for yourself. And if you have seen one before, that's awesome. I really hope that you get the chance to watch and listen to what people are talking about. Um, so that's that. And I wanted to also share with you that we did a disruption here that was amazing. So everyone dressed in funeral attire. Um, we walked almost in silence about a mile to a Whole Foods. And Whole Foods is really known for being this place where there's free range and organic and farm animals, farm animals, treated nicely and kindly, but they were all slaughtered. So we went into this place and we made a circle. Imagine, this is over 200 activists, so this is a tiny Whole Foods. So we enter the door and we have a partner and one of our partners has a flower. And we circle around the back of the Whole Foods past the dead animal flesh, also known as the meat section. And our partner, I had a flower and my partner picked up um, a package of dead animal parts. And we all went around to the side of the store where there were more people. We had a big banner. I can't remember what it says, but something about animal liberation. And people gave speak-outs. And they brought with them the bodies, the real bodies of animals who had passed away. And these animals were rescued um, from slaughterhouses, from factory farms. And they actually brought the bodies in here with us. This was a real funeral for all those animals that were inside. And I know some people like to hear these stories from a neutral standpoint and, and know what it would have looked like, but I'm here to tell you what it felt like. So I was at an actual funeral, mourning for all these animals um, that have been products of a system that uses and abuses them and only uses them for their body and ignores them for who they are. So it was really emotional, but it was also really amazing because every time we chanted, you know, the hairs would raise on my arms because I would get really excited to hear all these people um, sharing the stories of these dead animals that we brought in with us that were taken from Whole Foods farms, which is crazy to me because people have these ideas of what Whole Foods, if you haven't heard of Whole Foods before, I almost said Horror Foods, that makes sense. Um, Whole Foods is this big supermarket that has really high quality, high quality products um, that are usually organic and they have all these meats, you know, like I told you before that they promote with a humane myth. And I didn't have this when I lived in Ohio, but I have it here now, and I've seen them. So they're usually in bigger places if you haven't seen Whole Foods before. But anyways, we went in and we shared the stories, and people pass out leaflets, and there's someone to talk to the police, and sometimes the press coverage this. So we were in there protesting, and people were asking questions and things like that, and I listened to the stories of these animals who died. And then we went back, and we put the dead animal parts back, and we put flowers on them. And we walked out, and we chanted outside the store, maybe for like 15 minutes. And um, you'll get to hear those links in the video as well, if you watch a video of the disruption. It's going to be great. I'll post the exact one that we did, so that you can know what I'm talking about. And I don't get nervous doing this anymore, and I especially didn't in this huge group. But it was a beautiful thing to see so many people advocating for peace in such a nonviolent way. So that was a really amazing thing, and I'm really excited to share that video with you. So those are kind of the coolest things I've done so far. This is only day three, I think, of the whole entire week, so there's going to be more things in the next episode. But I wanted to tell you a little bit of what Berkeley's like if you've never been here before. Um, it's a city, 
And it's so different for me because I live in more country. So there is, there does seem to be a lot of trash places. Um, but that's all relative. You know, it's, it's just more than I'm used to. But there's, like, liberation posts everywhere um, for all types of different groups. And people seem so liberal here. And it's really, really cool because it's so different from where I come from in a small town. And people, um, there's also a different feel here. You feel very accepted for who you are. And you don't feel like you have to change a lot of things. And you feel like you can share your story most of the time with people when you just meet them. So I guess there's other places like that that's not specifically Berkeley. But that's the vibe I'm getting here in Berkeley. Um, I haven't got to explore the city itself too much because I've been exploring this whole world of liberation with all these liberationists, which is amazing. Um, I've also met Anita, who started the farmed um, animal save in Toronto and with all these pig saves. And she's awesome. And, you know, she's an activist like everyone else who is just doing the kind thing. So I'll also post a link to what pig saves are, and I'll share a video. But um, pig saves are when you go to the slaughter trucks before they get to the slaughterhouse, and you take videos, and you bear witness, and you take recordings, and you share them with people, and you give pigs water and food. And sometimes people even stop the slaughter trucks. So Anita, the person I met here, started this in Toronto, and it has spread across the nation, and people are doing this all over now. We actually have a chapter where I live, so I do this too. But it was cool to meet her and talk to her about that and meet all these really influential influential people that are here teaching other people how to do really good work. Um, we heard from someone who, I'm not going to share names here just because I haven't asked these people, you know, if I can share all the information that they shared with us. But there's someone who worked under someone who was directly studying and working with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So we had a really great presentation on how to be nonviolent and what we do with our anger when it comes up. And um, I'm going to share with you now an interview. So there are two things I need to tell you. One, um, this podcast is about being completely authentic and open and honest. And two, I am not good at tech stuff. I've never ran a website before or done podcast or any of that stuff on a computer. And I accidentally cut the very first part of this interview off. I have no idea how I did it. I don't know how to get it back. I will not do it again in the future. Um, but this is Julianne Perry here telling us about how she saved Pao from China, um, where Pao, her animal companion, was meant to be dog meat. Um, it's a really moving story, and in the beginning, you will miss the whole introduction because I lost it, but she's really setting the stage and telling us how she became vegan um, because that really sets up the rest of the story to know where she's coming from. So, beginning of the story, just know Julian's telling us about how she became vegan, and feel free to dive right in. Like I said, I'll get it next time. You know, left my nest and started thinking for myself, and was at college, um, and started making that transition. And it's been very fulfilling for me to find this larger purpose to fight for. Right. And I listened to one of your talks that you gave, and you were talking about how you reached this point in your life where you thought that everything was perfect or should be going well, you should be happy, and you didn't feel that way. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it was really funny. I was fortunate um, to be educated at a really great university in a top program, and I got a great job coming out of it. So I had all of the things that the world tells you you need. Mm -hmm. um, I was making a very good living. I had actually just bought a house, and I was 24. 
Um, I had a boyfriend that I was in love with, all these fun friends, um, and I couldn't help this nagging feeling that there was a hole in my life, which didn't make sense because I was checking all the boxes for success. Um, So I made a pretty drastic um, and crazy move. I I quit my job um, at at Adobe (laughs) that I loved. Um, And I went to go work pro bono for a cause that I cared about. Uh Um, And I I went around. At this point, I had kind of had this whole come to Jesus about what my life was about, and it started to become vegan. And so I, I looked at all the different animal rights organizations and started volunteering with a lot of them. And when I found Wayne Chung, who is uh, one of the co-founders of DXE, I was so impressed uh, by his intellect and his strategic approach to a social justice issue. And mm-hmm. he had kind of gone through the same thing. He was a lawyer at a prestigious law firm, you know, making six figures. Right. And, and quit, and now he um, lives more meagerly than anyone I've ever met, yeah. so that he can give all of his time and talent and money to the cause. Right. Um, so I was very fortunate to find them and find this true purpose for my life, which is making someone else's life better. You can really only get mm-hmm. so much out of buying things for yourself and doing things for yourself, but when you do something for someone else that they can never do for yourself, the way I, I got to save Pow, mm-hmm. um, that is the true fulfillment of a life. Right. And just so everyone knows, Pow is here with us right now, um, a dog that Julianne went and saved. So would you like to tell us about how this investigation started? Because just so everyone knows, um, Julianne went to China, correct, and saved Pow, who's with us right now, and a couple others. And how did this, like, idea even start up, or did you know you were going to do this? Yeah, so I uh, helped with some investigations in the States into animals that are farmed here, okay. um, including pigs and chickens. And uh, Wayne, who I mentioned earlier, is Chinese-American and grew up in China and um, had actually witnessed as a young child dogs being killed for meat. Oh, gosh. Um, and that was, I think, one of the beginnings of his conversion to wanting to live a lifestyle that doesn't contribute to cruelty against animals. Yeah. And he had always wanted to go back to China and and rescue a dog. Um, And so I had fortunately gained his trust by that point, and he reached out to me um, to see if I was interested in going. And and he did a lot of legwork with the investigation, but it really stemmed from this place of dogs had changed his life and his Mm -hmm. perception of the world. He had been able to see through relationships with dogs, which I think a lot of Americans have in their homes, how they feel love and joy and boredom and pain and this amazing range of emotions that you wouldn't expect animals to have. That we all feel too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like us. And, and we also felt like there was going to be a power there because Americans um, have that love for dogs. And most Americans think it's unquestionably wrong to kill a dog to consume their bodies, their meat. Um, but we, we have this cognitive dissonance in that it's okay for certain other species, for example, pigs mm-hmm. or chickens. And we thought that if we rescued an animal from an, a dog from a farm that was going to be used for meat, that might be a really powerful way to make people think more deeply about the rights that other animals with these, these sentient emotions should right. have. So what was your main goal when you went there? It was just to rescue one dog, two dogs, three dogs, or what was, did you have a set plan before you went there? Yeah, we had two ideal goals. Um, As with all of our investigations, we want to document the conditions that animals are living in so that people can 
without having to risk their own safety, go inside of these places and see what's happening. And right. the second is to rescue at least one individual um, to tell the story and to give some hope to people and say, this is the world that we want to have. This mm -hmm. is how animals should be treated. And we were very fortunate to be able to fulfill both of those goals mm -hmm. on this trip. Okay. Um, we were able to save three dogs, actually, from a farm. And we placed undercover cameras inside of a slaughterhouse in Yulin, wow. which is the city that uh, historically has had the largest dog meat festival in the world, a yeah. place where in one week they will slaughter 10,000 dogs and cats. Wow, and that's probably crazy to Americans because whenever someone mentions eating dogs, people think it's so gross, it's so wrong. But then we do the same for pigs, so I'm sure that's really shocking to a lot of people. But in all the other cultures, it's normal, just like it's normal to us to eat pigs and such like that. So that's really crazy. That's a big number. Um, so what was your, uh, I guess, mission when you were there personally? Did you have a certain part that you were going to do? Yes. Yeah, so I was actually brought on for animal care. Um, I have been a mother of dogs for a few years and fostered dogs that needed a special help recovering from emotional trauma. And so I was picked that once we would rescue the dogs that I would be completely focused on their well-being and rehabilitating them, mm -hmm. um, which was a pretty safe thing to do. But right. unfortunately, one night at 3 a.m., Wayne came into our apartment in Yulin um, in the Guangxi province of China in southwestern China, and he was bleeding from the side of his face, and he had yeah. bruises on his body. Um, and we were like, oh, my gosh, Wayne, what happened? And he had gotten caught setting these undercover cameras at the slaughterhouse and he'd been beaten by the dog meat traders. Yeah. Um, and he had managed to get away. A woman came and kind of disrupted what they were doing and said, why, why are you doing this? And he was able to run. Um, and at that point it became very clear that he needed a lookout. Um, right. He needed someone else to be with him. He couldn't do this by himself. And we decided as a team that it made the most sense for, for me to go with him to the slaughterhouse. Okay, so your job completely changed from what you thought before. Right. Um, and so did you prepare before this trip like someone was watching your house or you had to give certain things up? I'm sure you had to emotionally prepare. So did this change um, in plans, change how you felt about the mission or the operation? And did it affect how you had to prepare? Yeah, the risks definitely went up and um, we had thought about contingencies and I was fortunate to have a great support network. Mm -hmm. um, I just finished up my master's at Dartmouth in business administration, and I had a classmate there who had been an officer in Afghanistan and special forces. And so I got to talk to him about PTSD and what his advice was for, yeah. for trying to prevent that because I, I love dogs, and I knew going in, watching some of these videos, that it was going to be very traumatizing just for me to see, let alone right. for the dogs to experience. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I also have dogs at home, and, and we always know with, with civil disobedience like this, where you are uh, breaking a civil law in order to uphold a higher moral law, that there is mm -hmm. a chance of um, you being imprisoned or maybe even physically hurt or killed. And right. so um, I, I even took the step to ask my, my sister, who I'm very close with, if, if the worst thing happened to me, if she would take on the responsibility of raising my dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and getting life insurance to cover my student loans because um, I knew that there was some slight chance that I wouldn't come back from China. Right. And I'm sure to people um, who don't usually do rescue or aren't familiar with these stories as much, they're thinking, weren't you nervous? Like, <laughs> were you terrified or scared? Or at that point, were you like, 
if this is going to happen, it's going to happen and I'm ready. What, how are you feeling? Yeah, that's, that's how I felt about open rescue and investigations going into it. And I knew this would be particularly difficult. So when Wayne first asked me, I didn't say yes right away. Yeah. I took a few days. And there was one day where I just, I looked down at my dog, Baxter. Mm -hmm. And the thought occurred to me as he was looking in my eyes the way dogs do. Yeah, look into your soul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, if, what if he was born in China? What if he right. was in a dog meat farm? Wouldn't I do everything in my power and risk my life right. to save him and everything in my body just said, of course you would. Yeah. And that was the decision. So then you knew yeah. that was it. You were going. Oh, wow. Okay. So you got there. Um, you helped Wayne set up the cameras or you were the lookout and you were getting all prepared. So did you end up going inside to see the conditions of the dogs? And what was that like? Yeah, that's, that's a sensation I'll never forget. So we, um, in these kind of investigations, you stake out for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I was... How long is a while? Sorry um, to you, but. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Probably like five hours. Oh, um, my gosh. So you're sitting outside the place where they have this or like right outside the room or where are you sitting yeah so I was I was squatting down um there's a famous thing called the the Asian squat <laughs> which I had to learn how to do do they use that to go to the bathroom or is that they just, do yeah okay. yeah with eastern toilets hey, it's easier. So they're very good at it yeah um and so um I was squatting down to make myself small and yeah. I, was, I had my back up against a concrete wall of the slaughterhouse and and this region of China, it's, you know, 10 p.m. at night, but it's still 80 degrees. And yeah, so oh there's sweat dripping down your face, and it was a filthy area. There's the smell of feces and urine, human and non-human, rising mm -hmm. up through your nostrils. And there were flies everywhere landing on your face, and so you're, you're irritated and hot. But the worst part of being in that dark, damp, filthy place was hearing the screams on yeah. the other side of the wall and sitting there for hours mm -hmm. because you have to do this right just listening to the violence right. waiting for your opportunity so that you can tell the rest of the world about this experience right oh i can't even i i can't even imagine what that was like um and i'm sure that it's graphic but can you share a little bit about how they, what they do with the dogs there? Um, yes, yeah, so we were able just to... Just so people know, you know, what actually happens. Yeah, so we were able to get four days of slaughter footage of about okay. 10 hours worth of footage overnight is when they slaughter the animals. And what they do is they don't have some of the technological advances in the States, such as bolt guns, uh, which okay, are yeah. used to shoot cattle and hogs between the eyes before slaughter. Mm -hmm. So... They take about a four-foot rod that has a circle at the end mm -hmm. the size of someone's neck, and they clamp that around the dog's neck oh, God. so that it, as they struggle, their their head stays, and they will use um, a metal rod to beat them over the head several times, right. um, and, and they let out screams. They're not cries. They're not barks. They are screams. Yeah. Um, and then once they stop moving, that is when they will um, vertically slit the throat to drain the blood. Um, and then they will cleanse the carcass and uh, blowtorch it to be sold to the public. And it was really fascinating to be in this specific market uh, because they were selling and killing all kinds of animals, and mm -hmm. they would slaughter them right there. So you would walk by a stand that had a stack of cages with live chickens in it mm -hmm. right next to the dead body of a chicken, and then a goat slaughter, and then a dog yeah. slaughter. So it was so very clear, unlike... Oftentimes in the States and the way I grew up, 
you know, meat as a package that looks more like tofu right. than, than an animal and body. And it looks cleaner. Yeah. It looks, people yeah. don't even realize, some people don't even know it's an animal body mm -hmm. sometimes. I mean, That it's an arm or a, yeah. a breast is actually a breast. <laughs> we forget that when we're eating animal parts, they are literally any part of the animal. Right. So this uh, market made that really apparent um, that that meat really does come from that source. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, I can't imagine walking through there either. So when it came time for the rescue, how did you do that? Um, did anyone, like, try to stop you, or do you just walk in, or how does that happen? Yeah, so uh, I do not speak Mandarin, so I can't specifically speak um, to the tactics, um, but Wayne was able to negotiate the release of three of the dogs. And okay. uh, the farmer, who, interesting enough, had been a pig farmer, yeah. for years and was driven out of business by U.S. pig farming. And so he had a he felt he had to transition to killing dogs for a livelihood. Uh -huh. um, and so they just sent a shipment of the dogs to the slaughterhouse. And Pow and two of his brothers were left there because that they weren't fit for consumption, similar to the laws that we have in the United States where an animal cannot be diseased for a human okay. to eat them. It, it's, it's similar over there. So they so, were sick yeah, than they, the other um, ones? Yeah, they were very ill. Uh, Pow had fleas and flies crawling all over yeah. him. Um, we found out later they had worms in their bellies um, oh. and uh, a myriad of other health issues. And so it was it was somewhat easier for us to be able to negotiate them because they weren't as worth as much um, right. in their condition. Do you think they would have let you take someone out who was in better condition, or it was just simply because they were sick that they let you take them out? Yeah, I. I I don't think they would have uh, because these are products to people. Right. You know, animals, especially farmed animals, are things in our mm -hmm. eyes and in the eyes of the law. They are not people. Right. Um, so rescue isn't looked at as, as a right for a lot of these animals. Right. Oh, gosh. So then did you get to physically go in there and pick them up, or how did that happen? Yes, um, Wayne rescued two of the dogs, and I was very fortunate to be able to. I physically carried Pow out. Yeah, um, and it was really difficult because uh, we had debated whether or not to rescue him because he was in such bad shape. And yeah. uh, before we made the decision, I got to walk in, and I just sat on the ground, which was covered in filth. Um, right. This is a a pen ten feet by ten feet, just a concrete. Um, square where they live their whole lives. And in. that's usually for one dog or? That's for several dogs. Several dogs, um, okay. And, and that's considered free range, you know, very right. similar to how chickens are kept in the United States. So it's literally, if I walked in there, it would be like a stall for a horse or something, but it's all made yeah. out of concrete. Exactly. All concrete walls. I mean, that's so different compared to here because dogs live in our homes with us and they live outside, like, you know, always taking them to the park and on walks. So yeah. just to imagine them being in that room, that's just so different. Yeah, and I still, I mean, it's been a year since we rescued him, and still when I get to see him run outside on grass, it hits me like, he never yeah. ran. Right. And, and I remember him learning how to run, and it looked like he didn't know how his body worked. Yeah. Which was so beautiful. <laughs> that is sad, but that's yeah. really, oh my gosh. Do you, do you know, I don't know if you know or not, but do you know if they go there from the time they're puppies, or is it just like a puppy mill where they feed them into there, or how so, does that work? Yeah, so Pal was farmed, um, meaning that they they bred him to be killed for meat. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they will 
test a litter mm -hmm. and to see what their skills are. So if one seems particularly protective, they would sell them to a family as protection. Okay. One is very friendly. It would be sold as a pet. And um, unfortunately, the ones that are fearful are the ones that are sold oh, for dog meat. Okay. Um, but in certain areas of China, they also will, especially for the festival where demand is high, they will go through the streets and kidnap people's pets. Oh my! Oh wow! And and kill them. And we actually have footage in the slaughterhouse of a do of dogs with their collars still on. Wow! Oh, I could not even imagine. So is it when people are not looking, they would just go up and take them? Yes. Oh. Um, they'll drive around with vans, and if there's a dog out on the street, they will jump out, grab the dog, and drive off. Oh, gosh. So I'm sure that was so emotional when you went in there. And did you just walk in and pick Pow up, or was that harder? Yeah, we had to um, take quite a bit of coaxing, and he yeah. was very afraid of us. The other two dogs were actually quite curious. They would come up and sniff us and wag right. their tails, but Pow was terrified, and I was in there for probably half an hour, and he wouldn't even let me touch him. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if anyone has ever cared for a chicken, but chickens also don't like to be held, so <laughs> yeah. you kind of have to corner them and, and just grab them. Um, so that you can give them whatever attention right. and care they need. And that was the same with Pow. We kind of had to um, get him into a corner and grab him. And he and he was scared, so he bit me. But it was such a light bite yeah. um, because he is so sweet and, unfortunately, fearful. This is what happens when you abuse an animal is they break down. Right. Um, and, and it took a while for him, me to gain his trust. Um, but it's been incredible to see how not only he physically heals, but how mentally and emotionally he is healed. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah, because here we're walking around, and he's surrounded by so many people. Um, yeah. He looks happy. I see that he's scared sometimes. <laughs> or, like, if there's a loud noise, he'll kind of jump and look around and stuff, and when people go to pet him, he kind of shies back. Yeah. But, I, like, I can imagine the difference between then and now because he seems like a whole different person yeah. now compared to then, which is crazy. So you went in there and, you know, you coaxed him and you finally got to pick him up and carry him out? Yes. And then did you give him to someone else um, to take and take back to your room? Or how did that work? Uh, yeah, the three of us had an apartment. And so we just brought the dogs back with us. And it was 24-7 uh, trying to rehabilitate them between um, different care that we had to give for their skin conditions and then potty training them because that oh, was gosh. a totally foreign yeah. concept. <laughs> Um, and they were so afraid that they wouldn't walk outside, they yeah. wouldn't walk downstairs, so we'd have to carry them out, right. um, you know, six, ten times a day um, right. through the night. So we would have alarms set every few hours <laughs> of the night, and we had, um, we had a chart of when they would go to the bathroom, um, a lot of the rescue work. Oh, Uh-oh. What's going on? Hi. Oh. Are you too busy right now? Um, okay, so you rescued him, and were you, like, afraid of legal? We talked about that earlier, how you were kind of prepared, but once you were there, were you thinking about, you know, police finding you, or did they find you? Yeah, so Wayne is actually a lawyer, and so I felt very confident being on his team, and he had never been caught in the 10 years he'd been doing this work, but mm -hmm. we really rushed this investigation, and one day I was going to the slaughterhouse to extract the footage from the night before, and, um, were you alone? Uh, Wayne and I were both at the market at this point. Okay. Um, the market that leads to the slaughterhouse. And I looked up into the window where we had set our undercover camera to shoot into the slaughterhouse, and the equipment was gone. 
and usually when you're on these missions, um, you know, your emotions shut down, and you're just, like, in the zone. Yeah. Um, but for the first time, my heart just dropped. Right. And I was like, that's not a good sign. So I just went on instinct, and I started walking out of the market immediately, and I texted Wayne, our equipment is gone, I am leaving, get out. Mm -hmm. And I got about a third of the way out of the slaughterhouse when I felt someone grab my wrist from uh -huh. behind. Uh -huh. And I turned around, and there were six men coming towards me, and one mm -hmm. of them um, had my wrist and was wrestling the phone out of my hand that had access to oh. the footage. Um, and we had planned for contingencies and made the point that if, if one of us gets caught, we call the other one. And so yeah. I called for Wayne's name, and so they caught him as well. Oh, okay. And, um, and so there were about five men on each of us, and they dragged us to the shipping dock and sat us next to a wall and two of the men disappeared inside of a warehouse for a while. And when they came out, they had these metal rods in their hands. Mm -hmm. And I recognized them from the footage that they were the rods they used to beat the dogs to death. Yeah. And these were the men, the same men that had caught and beaten Wayne. And that's when uh, we were, we knew that there was an incredible risk to our lives. Right. What were you thinking when you saw the rods? So I, I anticipated to be frightened, um, yeah. but the strangest thing happened. I looked over at the slaughterhouse, and I, I saw the metal bars through which you could see the dogs, and I thought about this cause that I was fighting for. I thought about, you know, the lives that the dogs lived mm -hmm. compared to mine and how they were going to die, and I just, the only thing I could feel was peace. Mm -hmm. Just this peace and assurance that what I was doing was worth fighting for and mm -hmm. was worth whatever violence or legal implications I was going to face. Right. Oh, wow. So where did they take you from there? And did they ask you questions, I'm sure? And how did they treat you? Yeah, they they treat us very well um, because okay. they're very intelligent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they know that's the best way uh, yeah. to get someone out of it. It's not the Abu Ghraib style. Um, <laughs> Uh, so they called the police. The police came and handcuffed myself and Wayne and threw us in the back of a police van, and they, they took us to separate stations. Um, okay. You know, one of the, the common tactics is you separate people when you interview them. Um, and uh, I, I was strip searched, which I think was a tactic to kind of uh, break myself down. And, yeah. Um, and then I spent the next, unknowingly, about 20 hours uh, being interrogated through an interpreter, oh my gosh. Um, and they would interrogate me for a few hours and then put me in a jail cell. And Were you, know, you by yourself in the jail cell? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so for that most of that whole time, I was by myself. Um, and, uh, I, and I was strangely calm um, after that experience at the slaughterhouse. I knew that I was ready for whatever came my way, um, and Chris was still back at home um, okay. taking care of the dogs. Right. And, and that was all I really cared about. But then at one point, I, I saw that they brought Chris into the police station, and I knew that they had found our apartment. Oh, yeah. And that they had found the dogs, and that's when I just lost it. Right. And I started bawling. And, um, and they actually brought Wayne into my cell, and he told me that the dogs are okay. Chris convinced someone, our landlady, to watch over them, and they're okay. fine. Um, and, and they did turn out to be fine, and the police... Um, just left them alone, which we were really fortunate. And I think right. um, we weren't sure what we were gonna, what was gonna happen to us. Uh, we had a team back home that called the embassy, and they said, you know, it's not looking good in China. They can really keep you as long as they want, yeah. and there isn't the kind of 
rights that we have. You don't have the right to an attorney. You do not have the right to remain silent. Um, and they threaten us several times that they'll just throw us in jail for 30 days or more and they don't have to yeah. have cause. Um, and I think that we are fortunate that we were um, Americans and, mm -hmm. and more importantly that we had this network of people behind us that love and care about animals. Right. And we knew that if we went to jail, it would create an uproar yeah. that would be worth the sacrifice. Do you think that they knew that? I do. That they knew um, about... So we, uh, we spoke to them for hours, you know, hours and hours yeah. through the interrogation, and they did. They looked up, um, you know, the school I went to and yeah. the website of our organization, so they had a pretty good idea <laughs> right. of the background and what they were dealing right. with. Right, right. Oh, gosh. So did you tell them, you know, purposely, like, hey, there are all these people that are really serious about this, and there's going to be an uproar, or did you just kind of let them figure that out on their own? I did, and in the nicest way possible, I did kind of threaten that this is going to bring a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know that's not what you want. Right, right. Um, so, but at, at the same time, I would be okay with that. And, yeah. And social justice movements throughout history have acquired a great deal of sacrifice. For right, people. right. Oh, geez. So then what was their final say? Did they say, we're going to let you out, we're going to keep you here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they um, they decided to deport us, uh, Okay. which I've never been so happy to be deported. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the easiest, um, even after we were released. We had police on, um, on our tail the entire time until we left China, and we were able to get out in about three days yeah. uh, with the dogs and, and fly them home uh, to San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. Now, one part of your story, which I didn't realize before, I think it was a lack of my listening skills, was that, so the people that caught you at the slaughterhouse were the workers, correct? Yes. And then they called the police. Yeah. And that's why they had the rods. Okay, I'm just, so for anyone else, if you're like me and your brain didn't put that together, mine just did, and I was like, whoa, that makes it even more intense. So how are you feeling when they let you go? Um, did you feel relieved at all? or? Yeah, absolutely. I was preparing myself. Uh, for the possibility of spending years in a Chinese jail cell. Yeah. And, and if anyone's ever been to China, um, you know that the air quality there is, is shocking. And the entire three weeks we were there, you never saw the sky. It was just gray. Oh, gosh. And I remember this, this one time we were out taking the dogs um, to go to the bathroom. Um, in between uh, interrogations, they'd let us go for a little while and then brought yeah. us back. And they had our passports, so we couldn't go anywhere. And there was this break in the clouds, um, and I saw blue sky for the first time. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, okay, this might be the last time I see sky for years. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was ready, and anything was going to be good at news at that point. <laughs> yeah. But um, I really didn't breathe, and I really wasn't happy until we were off the plane in San Francisco, right. and I had Pow in my arms again. Right. And he was safe. That was what was really important. Did you get to hold Pal on the plane ride back or were they in like the crates and stuff? Yeah, well, they had to be in crates underneath the plane. Um, okay. That was unfortunately the law there. But now now he sits on my feet when we flew yeah. from Boston. Um, he got to sit with me on the plane, which was wonderful. That is wonderful because I would imagine after you rescued him, that might be a little traumatic. Yeah. Putting him somewhere else and not seeing him for a little bit or at least bothersome. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about Pal's life now? Absolutely. So different, but, yeah. like, just to get to know him a little more, like, what does he like, what does he like to do, um, things like that, favorite foods, whatever. Yeah. it's shocking to see. I mean, it's so inspiring, because if I went through what he went through, I imagine I would um, not be the kind of person he is. He just lives every moment to enjoy life. Mm -hmm. um, and it was fascinating how quickly he became a dog. The first time we showed him a tennis ball, 
Yeah. And he never had a toy the whole first year of his life. Right. He went after it and picked it up. And Aww. he loves to put his head out the window in the car. Yeah. And he loves peanut butter. Yeah. And he steals my shoes. I don't <laughs> does he chew them or does he just steal them? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've like 13 <laughs> shoes. And yeah. And, my, and my just so everyone knows, socks. you always look pretty nice. Like, I don't know. I was like, oh, wow, she looks really good today. And your shoes look like they'd be nice, too, you know, to go with your outfits. So I imagine that would be a little frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's the price of freedom. Yeah. A couple shoes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so how do you continue this work now? And does Pal help you tell this story to people? Yeah, he's been an incredible ambassador. And it really was what we expected in that when we have conversations with people about animal farming, unfortunately, it's... It's very cerebral and phys- phys- ph- philosophical <laughs> because no one has been in an animal farm. And no one right. knows what it's like. And um, and one of the clearest and most shocking ways to bring that home is when I say, well, what if – would it ever be okay to kill a dog for meat? Right. You know, um, this humane meat movement is, is rising in that, well, what if a pig has a great life and right. then they just – they die one day. Yeah. Um, and it really brings it home – to say that and to know that there are dogs out there who are going through the same thing that chickens mm-hmm. and pigs are and cows are. And it really helps people realize that we need to rethink how we look at certain species and what their right. rights should be because of the emotional capacity and the physical feeling capacity that they have. Right. And so I continue to work with DXC and we continue to do investigations in the last year I got to be part of an investigation of the turkey farm that supplies the White House, mm-hmm. a pig farm in L.A. that supplies Farmer John, okay, um, and egg farms. And so we are opening up the doors all over the country to people so that they can see more of these stories of animals yeah, and, and think, what do we want this world to look like for them? Right, right. And I'm sure if people saw this and they saw the footage or they had to go there themselves, this is not what they typically want it to look like. So... What advice, um, I know it's easy for us to talk about, like, it's it's an easy thing to, you know, see, a, imagine that that's your dog or that's someone you know, you know, and feel that way about them. But I think people have a hard time with that sometimes. So what advice would you give someone who wants to be able to love all species but doesn't quite understand how because either they haven't been around them enough, um, that's just not how the culture is, or they're mm. just struggling. Do you have any advice to give to them? Yeah, the biggest thing for me was support. Um, when I became a vegan, when I was, I think, like 25, mm-hmm. um, none of my family was even vegetarian, um, and none of my friends were vegan, and so I, I just didn't know what to do, what to eat, yeah. what to buy. <laughs> like, what do I, I eat? Okay. Lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so reaching out for support, um, if you can find, like, local meetups or Facebook yeah. groups, and just find a few other friends okay. and, and have them marshal you into the life, because there is, there's so much to learn mm-hmm. and um the worst part is feeling alone and feeling like you're missing out on something and it's, right. it's really not true there's actually a lot you're missing out on if you haven't even explored this <laughs> world um right it's it's completely different once you get here and like we were talking before um recording this podcast about how still a lot of people call animals it you yeah. know almost like an object and we just want to remind even changing your language i think helps people understand that they're beings so practicing using they yeah. you know things like that noticing how they're feeling um and then seeing like even up looking up different facts i think is helpful like that pigs are smarter than three-year-old children um and trying to imagine what that might be like and thinking about it from the pig's point of view um 
Yeah, so, we're so uh, fortunate to have the internet and have those resources. Yeah. And in an afternoon, you can Google vegan and learn more than people who, you know, were turned vegan in the 70s could have learned in years. Yeah, right, um, right. So there's a lot of resources. So just spend a day, you know, Googling vegan. Right, right. Googling, do pigs feel pain? Yeah. Things like that. And, <laughs> yeah. just, and just opening up your consciousness to right. learn. DXE might pop up a few times. Yeah, yeah. Come out to a DXE event. We yeah, love seriously. DXE. And I'll put a link in the bio to this um, for DXE and then another link where you can see if there's any local meetups where you live. So in case you're interested and you want to join an action, you can do that. Um, but we're going to wrap up here a little bit. I just wanted to ask you if there's anything else you wanted to add. Um, I think, anything. Yeah, anything we're just... At all. We're in a really fortunate time when uh, people are very unsatisfied with the way the world is. And mm -hmm. I just really want to encourage people to um, take courage and find people to fight for a cause with. Uh, because you can make an incredible impact, right. you yourself, if you find a movement to be a part of. And there is an energy these days. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. And I think activism is going to come back in a big way, and I'm really excited to see that happen where we are here in Berkeley. Right. We're doing it right now. Yeah. So that's amazing. I think there's, what, around 500 people signed up for yeah. this? And maybe 300 people here right now or something? I don't know if everyone showed up yet, but that's what I heard. So it is growing. Um, that's really exciting. And do you have any, like, social media outlets that we could find you if we wanted to look up more about you or your story? Yeah, I'm most active on Facebook, and I okay. think that's where you can see a lot of uh, – really beautiful videos of Pal. So yeah. if you want to look for Julianne <laughs> Perry, I think I, I'm pretty easy to see. Okay. Yeah, and then we can find pictures and videos of Pal, so everyone can meet Pal, too. Yeah. A little bit. Um, yeah, and he's on my profile picture, so it's easy to see. Oh, okay, perfect. So everyone knows he's white. Yes. Oh, my gosh, he's so cute, his little nose, and a little bit brown on the ears. Yeah. Um, so you can find her there, and you can find Pal, and learn more about that. But thank you so much for sharing that with us, and I can't wait to hear what people have to say about this because um, I'm sure this is not the most common thing that people are yeah. talking about or hearing <laughs> in their everyday life. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Yeah, thank you, and good luck on your trip. Thank you so much. I'm <laughs> excited. That should be fun. Oh, makes me to tears each time I hear him talk about it. Um, but it's a really inspirational and crazy story, and... I just want to say thank you again, Julianne, for being on this podcast and letting me interview you. But I wanted to give everyone my social media handles so you can find me and stay connected and listen to more stories. So if you are on Instagram, at underscore wanderwomanonline, W-A-N-D-E-R-W-M-A-N online. I'm on Instagram there. I'm on Twitter at underscore wanderwoman underscore w-a-n-d-e-r-w-m-a-n and then if you search for me on facebook my facebook name is wander woman and spelled the same exact way um it's all together so no space in between and remember like i said i have the wander woman um travel network so you can search for that too and please 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 find me on social media um follow me reach out and so we can stay updated with what each other are doing um tell me what you think about these stories and your response to them, because that's what I'm really looking forward to. That's what I would love to hear. And, of course, if you have questions about anything I talked about on the show, um, any travel issues or anything like that, feel free to reach out, and I will answer in the best way that I can. And if not, I will point you in the right direction. So thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode.